When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everybody and welcome to the episode 35 of season 1 of DNVR Nuggets Serbian Corner. It is a show where a couple of Serbians speak about the beautiful game of basketball and everything that surrounds it, but we usually ignore 99.9% of that sport that happens outside of Nuggets basketball. However, this week I am not joined by my usual co-host Voja Medic, who is on a deserved vacation from me. So I've used that opportunity to call again one of my favorite general NBA podcasters and my number one favorite NBA jokes Twitter follow. He is an NBA writer for the Bleacher Report, a host of Hardwood Knocks podcast, where you can almost always find some Nuggets content, but most of all, a super decent human being, Dan Favale. Dan, as you usually ask, how the hell are you doing? I am fantastic after that introduction. You are much too kind. And as always, I appreciate your low baseline for, for good content. That's going to bode well <laughs> for your standards of this episode. Man, you're grinding these days. The, your shows just keep rolling out. How, how do you manage to do all that? You know, I've become more honest in saying this over the past like year or so. A lot of it's just fear. There's so much good NBA content out there, and I don't want to fall behind. And I recognize that we're a different cup of tea. I think for a lot of people than some of the way more popular NBA podcasts, but that's what drives me. I don't think it's particularly healthy. um, And I don't know if it makes for great podcasting, but it's, it's sort of this FOMO. You don't want to get left behind. And there's a lot of just, there's a lot of talented people out there. um, And that, you know, it's a driving force. You don't, you don't want to feel like you're not living up to the bar that other people are setting. And I think also finally, um, and this shows a testament to it is sort of the localized content has become so good. Like the fact that DNVR exists, um, you know, the one of my favorite team podcasts, the timeline podcast for the Phoenix Suns, light years for the Golden State Warriors. We have a take for the Blazers. Like the coverage is just so darn deep and thorough that you need to figure out a way to give people a reason to come tune into your general NBA podcast. I don't know that we do that, but we try and cover as much of the league as possible and recognize like our flaws, how well other coverage is just to try and, you know, create some synergy between like where it seems like there can be disdain for a lot of national NBA podcasts. Um, so we just don't, you know, we try and be the least insufferable general NBA podcast that we can possibly be. Yes. And, and the best thing about it, you hate all the teams in the NBA equally. So that, that makes you unbiased, right? Yep. They all <laughs> and and, that, and you don't watch any, any games at all, right? I've never watched a single <laughs> NBA game my entire, my entire life. Especially not a Nuggets game. I didn't even know there was a team in Denver until you actually come on the show like last year or something. So, <laughs> Okay. Jokes aside, what you've already learned to expect when Dan comes on this show, I like to zoom out a bit so we can talk about different NBA teams. But don't let that discourage you from sticking with us. I'm going to force Dan to speak about the Nuggets and their place in the Western Conference hierarchy from his outside perspective for a good chunk of time i'm first of all i'm not gonna 
talk about the current COVID situation in the Nuggets camp too much, but I wanted to, to, to give you a couple of sentences about it. I did find it interesting how rough the end of the Knicks game was. The Nuggets has had two nights off and the Knicks were on the second night of the back-to-back, but it was the visiting team that was pushing the tempo and Jamal Murray-led team was playing at the slow pace, at least that's what my eye, eye test tells me. All eyes were on MPJ, who made one shot, then missed seven straight, and then didn't make a single field goal attempt in the second half. But I thought it was a low-key, very bad game from Murray. A lot of his passes got deflected or turned over, and he wasn't making any separation while dribbling the air out of the ball. There will be no Jamal tonight versus Dallas, so the rotation will be even tougher to make. So this is why I've decided to step away from the current moment for a bit and and pick your brain. So I hope that's that's fine with you. Uh, fine with me. I hope it's fine with your listeners. <laughs> okay. So I wanted to use this not so small sample of first five weeks of NBA to re-evaluate several teams that I believe are the most serious contenders to get to the top six seeds in the West. I don't want to speak about the playoffs yet. It's too far away. But let's let's see what are the teams that are really serious about having high seats um, before the playoffs. So I want to start with a couple of teams I thought would be bad, but they somehow are pretty good right now. First one, of course, the Utah Jazz, which is probably the team that made, made us recalibrate our option, opinions um, on them the most since the offseason ended. And everybody expected them to tank for another French big man to replace recently departed Rudy de Gobert. And I'm, of course, talking about the slightly more offensively versatile guy in Victor Vembanyama comparing to Rudy Gobert. But they've said, you know what? We already have the Minnesota pick. Why wouldn't we bet on them sucking real bad and play good basketball? How would you evaluate the contrast in situations in Utah and Minnesota right now? Oh, it's it's huge. There's like this chasm between the vibes coming out of there. And I will say, it's honestly more surprising what's happening in Utah because you you expected there to be some struggles in Minnesota, especially with Carl Anthony Towns being, getting sick and missing a ton of training camp and preseason. But I one of the things that's interesting about the Jazz is I always assumed, and I reassured Jazz fans that they wouldn't be good because they were worried they would be too good to, to be in the Wembenyama Scoot Henderson sweepstakes, I said there's no way in hell that Danny Ainge or Justin Zanuck is going to let this team float even near 500 for as long. Lo and behold, we're like 50%, 20% of the way through the season, whatever it is now. They're still pretty good. They've lost a few games recently. The offense is surreal. There's The fact that they're not like a bottom five defense is kind of surprising. That's pulled back a little bit. I don't know that we're going to see regression on the offensive end. There hasn't been a ton of outlying stuff there. Even the shooting and the way that they stretch defense is paper thin. That's going to come when you play a bunch of five out lineups and you just have guys. Colin Sexton, not not he's had an up and down year. He's taking smarter shots. He's not dribbling the air out of the ball and taking these low percentage pull up jumpers as often anymore. Jordan Clarkson all of a sudden just passes a bunch like tell, did not see that coming, especially someone who's almost, I think, 30 or over 30 at this point. Um, Kelly Olynyk looks like a different player. Jared Vanderbilt. I think he's taken like every, I feel like every shot I watched Aaron Vanderbilt take is further away from the basket than I thought it was going to be. He has thrown some really nice passes. Uh, and then of course, Larry marketing, this dude has been a fringe all-star right now. And it's, he's throwing these flamboyant passes. 
he's not taking particularly difficult shots, but he's still making the ones like his catch and shoot threes. And he's able to get some stuff going in the, the post and around the basket. This team has a bunch of good players and they are certainly a team that is successful on accident. But when you look at the, the actual roster, the, there is some redundance because of how many guards they have. I'm actually shocked that Will Hardy hasn't tried in a six guard lineup at this point, but <laughs> like they, they can all play off of one. Like a Mike Conley has made a living off of, yeah, I can do stuff on the ball and manage the game, but I'm going to play off it and it's going to work. Um, Jordan Clarkson, he's always needed to kind of have the ball in his hands, but if you're now going to say, well, he's just going to pass a bunch more. Um, Larry Markin and Kelly, like those guys have all been plug and play. I think Walker Kessler, the fact that he's been able to, uh, you know, he's a lot better on defense already than I expected. I thought he might've been too slow for the NBA. And so you juxtapose that to Minnesota very quickly, where it's just, I've seen people be concerned about their defense and I get it. They're bad in the non Gobert minutes. I think they've dropped like to 13th in defense, but Gobert just missed some time. I think they'll ultimately be fine when he, because he's going to be on the floor for a bunch of high leverage moments. The offense has been more concerning for me than anything. And I mean, I guess on top of that is just the mood in Minnesota where, where cat is like, a voyeur when it comes to uh, Anthony Edwards' diet. And Anthony Edwards is out here talking about how um, he needs more space to operate. But then there's, I think Rob Mahoney of the Ringer wrote about how Minnesota talked to him and Towns about the Gobert trade. And so like if, if Anthony Edwards had concerns about the space, that would have been the time to bring it up. So I think this team just needs a little bit more time to gel, but I have real questions on the offensive end where it's like, why isn't Jane McDaniels taking more threes? Um, you need him to do that because you already can't play Kyle Anderson and Rudy Gobert together just because it doesn't make sense from a spacing perspective. Um, you probably need better shooting from Jalen Noel. Can Austin Rivers or Bryn Forbes be more than breaking case of emergency? D'Angelo Russell needs to be a lot better as a shooter. I think Anthony Edwards will come around. He talks about not getting to the basket enough. Um, people have made a big deal about his dunks. He's actually seen more regression in terms of volume and efficiency from the perimeter. And then Towns just needs to get... I love Carl Anthony Towns. I think he's one of the greatest offensive anomalies at his position we've ever seen. But he is just like, uh, he can be clueless or totally disengaged on defense. And defensively, I'm concerned about, like, I've just seen some weird moments from guys you might expect to be better on defense, including Anthony Edwards. Jay McDaniels has had some just weird, you know, off-ball lapses as well. So the concern levels for both teams are actually fairly high because if you want Victor Wembanyama and you're a Utah Jazz fan, it's just not happening with your own pick. Um, it's time to panic. Your pick might not be a lottery pick, but on the flip side, it's also maybe time to panic about the Timberwolves. They might have a lottery pick. The Kings are frisky. The Pelicans are going to, I know we're going to get into all this, but just really quickly, the, the Pelicans, they've been fine and they'll probably get better as they're healthier. You have to imagine one of the Clippers or the Warriors is going to get better too. It's like, you don't have this margin for error where you can be eighth right now and it's okay. Um, so to sum up my long-winded response, very concerned about Minnesota's offense, but I would default. I might give them another two weeks of patience before going full-blown panic. In Utah, I'm just enjoying the vibes. And if you're the if you're a Jazz fan and you really want them to be bad to get high pick, it's just enjoy it at this point. You have a ton of all these other future picks. Um, that's going to allow you to be in certain trade discussions you didn't know about. There will be other draft classes. And we're on a podcast that talks about a team in the Denver Nuggets where I don't remember this exactly, but like after they traded Melo, that following season, they might have had one of the most random 50-plus win seasons in NBA history, and they still figured it out from there even though they weren't a title contender. And so enjoy this play if you're a Jazz fan because also, look, there's a chance that Danny Ainge just blows everything up still. Like that's We can't put it past him to trade. I know people talk about Conley. They talk about Clarkson. It would not shock me if Larry Markkinen finishes this season on a different team because that's kind of the cold, callous approach Ainge takes. But if you're a Jazz fan, the offense is surreal. 
The vibes are for real. Enjoy this. Don't get pent up about about lottery odds right now. Two things about about two te- these two teams. First, Laurie Markkanen. I love that story because I'm I am just annoying everybody about my take about how European players need to be in a good position. I mean, it's not only European players. It's really all the players. If you're put in a bad position, you will not be able to show your talent. And now we are seeing what Laurie can really do. And I'm really happy for him. Having the other hand, Jim Boylan at any point does count as being in a bad position. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, it's like with Darko Milicic playing in Detroit for his rookie contract. You know, he's just an 18-year-old boy who's just put into a championship team and gets no minutes and, of course, doesn't develop. And then, of course, he's too young and he's irresponsible. Yada, yada. Other things also. It's not only the the, the things around him that was the, the problem. But on the other hand, you mentioned Carl Anthony Towns, who is really an offensive anomaly. You know how much I love Nikola Jokic. And I love to show everybody what kind of crazy... Uh, statistical anomaly he is but most of the time when I want to use the true shooting or stuff like that Carl Anthony Towns always pops out next to Jokic because he's just insanely efficient throughout his career even though some things he does I don't like but on the other hand it's just it's just insanity how efficient he is I have actually haven't checked his numbers for this season did the efficiency drop for him a bit He's had some he's had some rough moments. I mean, he's he's averaging 22 points, shooting 36.9% from 3, that's low from him. Um I will say I am shocked that he's only at 6 three-point attempts per game. I thought that number was going to be jacked up more towards 10 because of him playing next to Gobert. His overall efficiency though is fine. He's still shooting like a trillion percent on twos. Uh but he doesn't look when you watch the and I'm not, you know this. I say it on the pod all the time. You want like the really deep cut Xs and Os shit, you're going to have to go somewhere else. I don't I just, I have to slow down the game too much to get it. But you watch the Wolves (laughs) offense and half court at points, you have no idea what is going on because there's a lot of bystanders. It looks like some guys don't know where they're standing and they're like kind of awkward and moving slow or not moving at all. And so I think he suffered from that a lot. But I paint me all shades of shocked that he is taking fewer than six three-point attempts per game. Okay, moving on to a team I was 100% sure they would suck. But somehow they are number one seed in the West right now. Of course, I'm talking about the Portland Trailblazers. Every year they load up on defenders to try to protect that Dame Lillard, Yusuf Nurkic in the drop defensive duo, which is the favorite pick and roll defensive duo of one Matt Moore, who very well doc- documented how bad it really is. And this idea usually fails, but this time around it looks pretty good. How serious of a team do you think the Blazers really are? Do you expect some regression to the mean? Yes, on defense. I mean, one, there's there's like a regression coming, but also a progression because they're, I think they're like eighth in points allowed per possession. And then their offense is 19th in points scored per possession. I, I'll be flabbergasted if defense winds up being like this team's <laughs> calling card. And when you do look at the numbers, uh, Cleaning the Glass does this thing where they look at the location of every team, all the team shots that they're allowing, and they come up with an, an effective field goal percentage that's expected. The Blazers have the worst location expected effective field goal percentage in the league. And yet right now they're eighth in defense. And they're not even like, you know, 
teams are still making shots against them, which I guess could be construed as a good thing. Um, but they're 18th in their opponent three point percentage. They're like a little bit below average at the rim this year. And so you look at that and you're like, all right, so there's going to be some pullback there, um, but they're going to get progression on offense. And I think what they've done this year, you know, you mentioned they've tried to assemble defenders around Dame and Nurkic in the past. I think there's a lot of Blazers fans that would just say they haven't done a good enough job of doing that to this point. And they do have a lot of rangy defenders on this team with Josh Hart, Jeremy Grant. They've gotten some good small ball five minutes from um, Justice Winslow. Drew Eubanks has been um, really good for them in, in some playing time. Uh, even Nos Little just bringing such high energy. I think Jaden Sharp's been better on that end than than I would have really expected as a as a rookie, most certainly. And you you have that, and you don't even have Gary Payton the second just yet. So he's going to come back. That gives you just like one of the most suffocating on ball defenders in the league right now. Then you dig into some of their other vitals. They're not a team that's fouling. They're not forcing turnovers at an unsustainable clip. Um, and they're grabbing. You know they could probably stand to grab more defensive rebounds, but they are playing some minutes where. Yeah, there's Eubanks and Nurkic to play center, but like we've seen Justice Winslow at center or, you know, him and Jeremy Grant populate the front court. Um, so you're probably not going to be this rebounding beast during those stretches. Uh, you're probably just more concerned about, hey, can we turn the ball over less on offense? We're getting to the line a ton, which is great for them, and it's helped propped up their offense. Um, can some of their players shoot a little bit better from three? Josh Hart has um, been slumping uh, at that point. So I think they're for real. Are they the best team in the Western Comps? It's absolutely positively freaking not. Uh, I think there's going to be pullback defensively, but I also think there's going to be an ascension on offense, which will help balance it out where, okay, if they're still here around December 1st, it's time to maybe pencil them in. It's just that that top six team, especially if we have, and we'll get to some of the other ones, the teams that are struggling um, that, you know, these legacy teams that we thought were going to be better if they're still sort of hovering around playing territory. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I have nothing to add to that. So let's move to the LA Clippers. One of my favorite stories of this season because I always love when big market teams suck. So they were the most analysts picked to get out of the West this season before the season began, at least on par with the Warriors, I think, if not above them. And I wasn't above uh, among those voices because I am not, in fact, an analyst. I like to keep it light and shoot my hot takes from the hip. For me, Kawhi Leonard, who has played in three out of possible 16 games for the Clippers this season, is now in the same availability tier with Kyrie and Ben Simmons. And that is why I have the Clippers just half of step above the Jazz and Blazers. They're good, but not much better than last season. Am I wrong? No, I think... <laughs> The thing is, is like we have to is is Kawhi ever going to be on the court for an extended period of time? Because that could answer a lot of their questions. And I think they've I don't want to say quietly I, like they've been better than people think uh, sort of since the end of October, seven and three over their last 10. They have the best defense in the league during that point, And that's very sustainable when you look at them. Um, they're still bottom five in offense. And I think that's the bigger concern. You have some guys who are not shooting well from three. Reggie Jackson's progressed a little bit. Norman Powell still just looks off at both ends of the court. And they do feel one creator sort of short. John Wall gives you the change in cadence, but how much can you rely on John Wall? He's already not going to play in both ends of back-to-backs. And yes, you have Paul George, but then you're supposed to have Kawhi, and you don't. And so it feels like this team might need another game manager. I know a lot of people are like, well, they need a big. And it's like, all right, I mean, maybe. They have like a Zubats is killing it. Um, he's had to cover up for a lot of stuff with some of these slower guys on the perimeter. So I get if there's sort of any concern there but they're not like yeah okay or do you want them to grab more offensive rebounds they might be the worst offensive rebounding team in the league they're third 
in defensive rebounding rate over the last 10 games. Like they, to me, I don't look at them and say their defense, that they need more size. And what is size going to really do for you on the offensive end? I look at this team as someone that needs a game manager, even more so than a Kawhi Leonard, just because that's, he can do that. But we're at the point you just mentioned his availability is just always up in the air. How many minutes can he play? How long is it going to be before he misses time again? And so I would just watch them as, I don't know how high grade they'll target, but they could be a Mike Conley team. If he gets moved, they could be a, former Nugget Monte Morris team if the Wizards really wake up to reality and decide to blow it up. So I think that's what this team needs most. And I think you could argue in favor of a consolidation trade regardless. Just they have so many wings. It's almost counterintuitive at this point. We Everyone wants wings, but they just have so many. And so you look at it and it's like, okay, like maybe we should, you know, we have Batum and we have Robert Covington. We have Amir Coffey. We have Marcus Morris Sr., uh, Terrence Mann. Like it just, and Paul George and Kawhi. Just feels like they're due. And Norman Powell, like, they might be just be due for some type of consolidation trade. Uh, I, let me tell you, I wouldn't mind Nick Batum on the Nuggets if if there is some interest for the trade. He's no he's no longer on that albatross of a contract, so so I'm I'm guessing he he would be he would be a nice pickup for the Nuggets. Okay, let's move to the New Orleans Pelicans. You already mentioned them. For me, I don't know. I don't love them. I don't hate them. They're also kind of a you know, analytics Twitter sweetheart at the beginning of the season. They've been playing really well at the beginning. And in Serbia, <clears throat> when you have nothing to say about something, you say it neither stinks nor it smells nice. And what is your odor gauge on the Pelicans so far? So my expectations for them were high. And I think, look, you you mentioned the numbers. You look at them. It looks like they're one of the best teams in the league. Fifth in offense. Uh, what are they? Sixth in defense right now. They have a top four net rating. And I think you could make the case that relative to the hand they've been dealt, CJ McCollum's playing, uh, shooting better now, but he was in a slump. Brandon Ingram missed some time with the concussion. Zion Williamson has missed time. To be above 500 here, that's an accomplishment. I actually still think there are, there are concerns. There, there are definitely concerns with this team. And I think you look at the defensive end with Zion on the court, he is both tantalized and then terrified his own team with some of the decisions that he's made there. Um, so... Like that is, they're still doing the thing where they, when he's off the court, especially like they are able to get back in transition a little bit better, or at least defend well in transition. Uh, so I, I see like the concerns there with Zion, but I can't just, I'm looking at this team and I'm like, they have stuff to figure out, especially when all three of their stars are on the floor, but they're just so good right now. Getting impact minutes from Dyson Daniel. Um, they are 12th in half court um, um, defense overall as well. I think you can be concerned, even though they're top 10 in half-court efficiency right now. Like, what happens when you sort of remove the offensive rebounding from the equation? I think some zone defenses have given them trouble. I'd like to see Zion, when he's healthy, uh, run more pick-and-rolls or just give him the ball and have him drive. That's the best way to bu uh, bust up a zone if you're the Pelicans. Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum are inherently going to bail out. Not bail out, but they want to get to the mid-range. Like, that's their inclination. So I'd like to see more of that. There needs to be some like chemistry there overall. Does this team shoot? You know, enough from three. I think that's a fair question that we can certainly ask. They're second, though, in um, overall. Oh, no, that's defensive three-point per shooting. They're like, they're shooting good enough from three. They're Yeah, they're fifth, but are they taking enough? And the answer to me is um, no, they're absolutely not. They're 29th in three-point attempt rate. And so when you dig deep into this team, yes, Trey Murphy being fantastic, getting minutes from Dyson Daniels. I still feel like the two things they're going to need is – to be able to space, and it's really just one, is do they need to make a trade where it's Miles Turner is coming in here? And I know Pelicans fans love Jonas Valanciunas. He's really good. They have Larry Nance Jr. as well. I think you need someone 
who plays next to Zion in the front court, who will bump up the three-point volume for the entire team. It gives Zion more space, even, even more than he'll have with Larry Nance Jr. Well, and then it also helps stabilize your defense if you want to close that way. Jonas already isn't closing a lot of games for them, I don't believe. So that's something I look for, especially because, and this would be my second concern, how does this offense translate to the playoffs then? Right now, I think you just need the extra three-point volume and spacing to make life easier on your stars. Maybe some of your role, um, your role guys, like especially if Dyson Daniels, you're going to put the ball in his hands at all, so that they have more driving lanes. That's something I'd like to see them do. But I absolutely do believe. I think I picked them to win 50 plus games this year. If Zion plays in, if he can get to 65 games, I think that they will win that many games still. So I'm not worried, but I'm also I'm with you in the sense I'm not impressed to how they've gotten here. But maybe we should be. Like Zion dealing with injuries and still not all the time looking like himself. Um, the CJ slump and then Brandon Ingram missing time, and they're still three games over 500 with a top five net rating. That's you know, that's nothing to sneeze at. How optimistic are you about Zion being really healthy at some point of this season? I don't know. I mean, the fact that he's dealing with a foot thing right now, I think, is is definitely concerning. And he had some hit stuff at the hip stuff at the beginning of the year. It's going to be an inherent concern of mine, and I think everyone's just until it's not. Until he's just on the floor and he's playing all the time, or is this going to be someone who it's, all right, Like right, we're going to get 55 games from him a year, and we're just going to have to live with that. You can still be really good, especially if he's healthy for the playoffs, but this is still, we're still sort of in the, the feeling out stage of that. And so I'm hopeful just because he's still so young. This is only year four, but he's already dealing with stuff. And so I, I think the concern is it's higher than mild, but it's lower than super high. So let's say moderately concerned about his long-term health. Fair, fair. Okay, another top three favorite story for me this season are the Warriors, who are the defending champions. They did become noticeably worse on the margins after losing Otto Porter, Nemanja Bjelica, and Gary Payton too, and trying to rely on their uh, young guns. But it's still still pretty remarkable for me to have them this low on the list of contenders. And spoiler alert, there are still three more teams we are going to talk about before we get to the Nuggets. So this is quite low for 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 Warriors. But what you're gonna do? They're like six and nine right now, something like that. How serious do you think the problems Golden State have? Is it is it really just Steve Kerr coaching the guys right now in the early stages of the of the season before they can rise up to the championship level again, or do they need some kind of a shakeup with their roster? I tilt towards they probably need to shake something up, even if it's not at the top. I mean, as we're recording this, like over their last five games, Anthony Lamb is like their fifth leading scorer during that spam at 6.8 points per game, uh, 8.6 points per game, excuse me. So he's the fifth leading scorer. That's a problem. And he's been good for them. The bench has been terrible and they've moved away from playing the kids so much. Here's and James Wiseman's in the G League. Here's the issue with that is those guys are still on your roster. They're taking up roster spots. So you lost these other veterans and then you replace them with kids who you thought, well, at least one of them is going to have to make a major contribution. I think you can argue not all three of them have been letdowns. I think Moses Moody has been fine at points. And like Jonathan Kaminga, they, they haven't really used a, a lot just yet um, in the first place. James Wiseman, absolutely a disappointment. They also don't play in a way that's conducive to, to him necessarily learning. Um, that is tough to come back from. Like Dante DiVincenzo being banged up. So you're already shallow and he was banged up for a little bit. Jermichael Green, he was like kind of fouling a ton. I think a lot of it was trying to overcompensate him and Draymond Green and even like uh, those two at points trying to overcompensate for James Wiseman mistakes. Um, but what we also need to talk about is like there are problems at the top of the roster too. Clay Thompson's not hitting shots. And 
I know he's been a little bit better of late. Jordan Poole's been really bad this year. He's been bad on defense. He's starting to hit his threes now. He was hitting an absurd amount of his two-pointers. He's a pretty good passer, but like he hasn't been reliable on offense. He's not. There was a, I can't remember which game it was, but like he wasn't closing it because he wasn't playing well. And you go in to Phoenix, still haven't won a road game, and you get trucked by a Phoenix team, no CP3, no Cam Johnson. Jay Crowder is still off, like trying to get traded, and you just get trucked. That's an issue. And I think the biggest concern is their defense, of course. They're fouling a lot more than you'd expect someone who has um, uh, Draymond Green on this team. But a lot of that just has to do with they feel worse defensively when you have Jordan Poole on the court. Um, Clay Thompson doesn't look the same, which is to be expected. That's something you need to account for. You have all the people behind them are sort of just overreacting. That becomes this heavy lift on your defense where you know you are going to commit a bunch of fouls. And they're 27th in foul rate, which is just wild. They're also just not a good defensive rebounding team, which that's not great for them either. So you're losing a lot of these minutes with the bench. And I recognize that. That's not really an excuse, though. You, know, you can say that that's evidence this isn't a championship hangover, but like you just paid Jordan Poole. I know there was the punch. I don't know what type of impact that had on this team between he and Draymond Green. You just paid him like a star in waiting. At some point, we got to have the conversation, no matter how shallow your bench is, that you can't even put together a league average offense when Jordan Poole is playing without Steph Curry. And the fact that you're still so reliant on Steph Curry, age 34 season, he's putting together these just like astoundingly, profoundly absurd games, and you're losing. They they need a shakeup. And it could the problem with them is they can't like any trade they make almost has to be gargantuan. Their their salary matching fodder, like, are you gonna trade Clay or Draymond or Wiggins? Probably not. And so even if you do, though, you're getting rid of one of your core players. So it's like, oh, then we need to get someone good back. But then if you're moving Wiseman or Kaminga or Moody in addition to picks, yeah, you can pile those guys onto each other to bring salary back. But are you going to trade? Just If you give up James Wiseman a pick for Miles Turner like and plus sal- other salary, the optics of that are bad. Like You've decided then to sell low on Wiseman because Turner's a free agent. You also already have Looney and Draymond, so you've decided, okay, Looney's definitely not closing games for us. But then, hey, is Jordan Poole not closing games for you either? So uh, that's the predicament they're in. Is they need to make a move, but it has to be, and it can't be, let's wait for the buyout market. You're just not going to stumble into a player that's going to be your, your sixth or seventh best guy. They have to be delicate about this just because there's going to be an admittance of a mistake somewhere, whether it's, oh, we're selling low on one of the younger guys or actually making more of a consolidation trade um, to bring in a star when we thought our timeline was that we had like eight different timelines that we could juggle. The Warriors used to be my favorite team, you know, before the Durant drama, before the Durant came to Warriors. I really liked that team. And now I just remember they sucked for two seasons before this championship season. So why not? Maybe they can suck another one and, and give it a go next season. Again, at least that's what my hope is. Because I'm I'm really scared of the Warriors if they figure it out. They're still like like the, the top-heavy team of the West, in my opinion. Okay, let's take a short break, and we're coming back in a second. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
And we're back. Okay, next team up, the Memphis Grizzlies. They're definitely better than what I expected them to be without Jaron Jackson Jr., who finally debuted versus the Pelicans on Tuesday, but also without Kyle Anderson and Anthony Melton, who were really important for them last season, especially, you know, in those games when Ja Morant couldn't play. Desmond Bain, on the other hand, was totally annihilating the limits of his negative wingspan, becoming a borderline, if not a real all-star player this season before this injury that will keep him away from the court for several weeks. How how serious do you feel uh, the Grizzlies are after, this season? Uh, after underestimating them for a fourth consecutive season, I'm pretty seriously <laughs> sold on them. Uh, there are... I think the so look Desmond Bain on an all star track before he gets injured. He was actually leading uh, over a two expand Memphis in scoring over John Morant, which is just wild. Um, they've gotten good contributions from Santi Aldama. You mentioned Jaron Jackson Jr. just comes back. He looks all sorts of off on offense. You hope that will be cobbled together. Uh, they haven't had Zaire Williams yet this season. John Morant, spectacular. There was a point where his, his three point percentage was dipping. He also wasn't hitting his free throws. That was weird. This team is just going to be fine because they're the Grizzlies. What I would point to are two things. Their half-court offense is still in the bottom five of efficiency. It's like you have Desmond Bain, you have John Morant, you don't have a lot else to create in the half-court. Um, that, you know, losing Kyle Anderson, D'Anthony Melton probably hurt there during the regular season, but those two weren't doing a ton of stuff for you in the playoffs anyway. However, they're also in the bottom 10 of forcing turnovers now. That was a hallmark of their identity the past couple seasons. Kyle Anderson, D'Anthony Melton were two of their best defensive playmakers. Oh, Jaron Jackson Jr. was a third. He's back, so you have that element. But are you going to be able to have the same sort of mojo on that side of the floor in the playoffs to muck up stuff without the different options at your disposal? Uh, I honestly don't know. And so there's something about them where I'm, oh, like, can they match up and win and beat the best teams in the West? But then you have to ask yourself, who the hell's the best team in the West right now? Like, Portland <laughs> won, Utah's hanging around the top four. Who do they need to be afraid of? Like, yeah, Denver, sure. Anyone fearing the Warriors right now? Absolutely not. They're probably just going to give away turnovers anyway to the Grizzlies if they play them at this point. Phoenix should probably be a little scarier because of the damage they're doing so far away from full strength that I I know that they lost a lot of supporters because of the way they lost to Dallas last year. But my God, like, this is just a buzzsaw in the regular season. So there are some teams you could worry about, but I'm looking at the Grizzlies like, this isn't, oh, like, we need to make a trade to fully form our identity. No, just stick with this and hope Jaron Jackson Jr. gets better on offense. Maybe he gets Ayer Williams back. Desmond Bain certainly needs to be healthy and just see where it falls because they are probably like, look, if we're doing this now, I have to feel pretty good about my Nuggets title pick just by virtue of no one in the rest that you would expect to separate themselves really has. And so we're sitting there looking at Utah and Portland like, well, this can't last. But like, aside from them, and I'm still pretty high on Phoenix. If I'm Memphis, like, I don't know who to fear. You didn't fear the Warriors at full strength. You're definitely not going to fear a version of the Warriors that is just dying right before our eyes. So I think there's a case to be made. I wouldn't make it, but they might be the, they should maybe be the favorite in the West. You could make that case based off the landscape right now. Yeah, it's, it's such a strange season and you have to love it. I mean, why would we want to have a season where there is a clear cut finals, uh, uh, in the making before the season even began, so we have to be we have to really be uh, grateful for that. Okay, let's move to to one of the better teams in my opinion, and it's the Phoenix Suns, who are the team that I hate the most right now. 
you know, because of the not last season, but the season before the four foreign oh sweep in the first round, uh, where uh, Denver played without Jamal Murray. But I'm waiting for them to dissolve in their own hate for each other. But somehow they still look pretty good. Please try to give me a glass half empty take on them if you can. I look, it's do they have and like are you going to run out of bodies at some point? What does CP3 look like upon return? We see his regression as a scorer and a shooter overall this year. Is that going to stick? What does Cam Johnson look like after coming back from that meniscus surgery? What are you doing with Jay Crowder? Like that's just your sixth best player not on the team. Like that spot's just empty. Uh, and so you're, I don't want to say they're operating on borrowed time, but you look at like, okay, Cameron Payne's playing really well for you. So is Jacques Landale. Um, like you had some good moments from Damian Lee. Josh Okogie's been good situationally for you. Uh, you know, Landry Shamit has like done his job at certain points. Dwayne Washington Jr., the fact that you've needed him at all is probably an issue. Uh, so they're built to make a trade, but I still think they probably need to make a trade, especially because I'm at the point where we probably need to readjust expectations for DeAndre Ayton. He's viewed as this top-end center which he still might be, but like we can't just expect him to eventually be an all-star or a fringe all-star and especially on offense. Like he just doesn't, he's not wired that way. I know that they only use him really as a play finisher. Even now with CP three out, he's not wired to be more forceful at the rim. He wants to fall away from the basket. Um, and some of his efficiency numbers is dip have dipped. He's not shooting as well as hook shots this year. That's a concern. You're getting a lot of slack picked up by Mikhail Bridges, who I had just said on the podcast the other day, this is someone who, you can see him being more aggressive away from the ball, making quick decisions off the catch. But is he ever going to be someone who gives you on-ball rim pressure or puts set defenses on tilt? All of a sudden, he's doing that. It's like maybe he has another gear to get to. But this very much feels like a tra- a team as good as they are, as good as Devin Booker has been. And we're probably not even talking about it enough because of how good the Suns still are, while Devin Booker just doesn't have this double teams are being thrown at him all over the place, and he doesn't have CP3 available. DeAndre Ayton has probably been worse than expected. So... Uh, they are built to sustain the success in the regular season, but it's troubling when you look at this roster and you're like, they might need to trade for someone who's their fifth best player. Like that's always a concern. Um, if you're trying to view as a contender, so that might be the glass half empty is the health and then the CP three specifically, but it's how sizable of a trade do they need to make to ensure that they're a more viable playoff contender than they were last season. And where do you think they would need the reinforcements the most? Is it on the bench or is it in the starting lineup? I, so you look at, if you're not going to trade any of your top five guys, it's just the bench. Um, and I think what they're trying to struggle to do, if you're Phoenix, you have to just be sitting on the Brooklyn situation and being like, right, well, we can't trade all of our distant picks right now because if Kevin Durant becomes available, he's going to want to come here. And that would make so much sense in the world. So you start looking at, so we have this year's first round pick. Probably not like we don't need that if we're going to go after Kevin Durant. And then we have some of these Dario Sharich, Landry Shamit, Jay Crowder, of course, some of these matching tools. And so names that spring to mind for me is like Eric Gordon, someone who puts rim pre- puts pressure on the rim, shoots a bunch of threes. I think that's where you need. I think you need most of the help on the perimeter. It can come in the form of another wing. I think it could still be a guard, even with having campaign Devin Booker and Chris Paul, especially Gordon can play. You can get away with some three there. So that's the name. Does I don't know what Gary Trent Jr. would cost you coming from um, Toronto. I, I don't know that he's actually the perfect fit for them. So that's the scale of a move that I think you're looking at, though, for Phoenix is because we have to be realistic and recognize unless a star becomes available, they're not going to make the trade where it's like, oh, two first-round picks were included for Larry Markkinen or something. It's going to be very much to me salary filler plus one first-round pick. So 
what does that get them? Again, uh, salary filler and maybe not. Do you even need a first round pick to get Eric Gordon right now? Just he's old and in the final year of his deal, he's been good. But that's the type of a scale move that I think they need. And that's where I think it needs to come. It just on the perimeter, it'd probably be better if it was a third ball handling guard who wasn't campaign, just because I don't know that you could trust him in the playoffs. But if it comes in the form of someone who's bigger than Eric Gordon, I don't think you, you can complain about it being, being on the wing. Did we finally get to the final year of Eric Gordon's con contract? Because the only knock on him, honestly, was he has a too long of a contract. He's a good player, but he's like 20 million per year and he has like four more seasons to go. So why would you trade for him? But now when you said it's the final season, well, yeah, that's, a, so that's pretty good. He has, he has a huge salary for next year, but it only becomes guaranteed if he makes the all-star team, which is going to happen, or his team wins the title. So, like, yeah. if you are Phoenix, you have to think about that. But if you win the title, <laughs> just pay Eric Gordon. Like, that's not yeah, that's sure, not sure. It's not a big problem. <laughs> I would agree. I would agree. Okay, the Los Angeles Lakers are on the upswing. I'm kidding. Uh, I just wanted to uh, see your face when I mentioned them above uh, among the good teams, as there is no way in hell they're going to big market themselves out of this situation. So that was just a little little rub from my side. Okay. Last team I want to mention before we move to the Denver Nuggets, the team I'm irrationally high on is the Dallas Mavericks. The team most people were, and a lot of teams, a lot of them still are low on, you know, because they've lost their second best player in Jalen Brunson for nothing. But, you know, Luca is still there. And I don't know, he is averaging 34, 8, and 8, even though he's somehow shooting even worse from the three point line than before. They're still only good enough to probably be around sixth seed or something like that before the playoffs. But man, I wouldn't be happy to, to meet Luca in the playoffs this season. I don't know. It's, it's just a gut feeling I have. How do you feel about the Nuggets right now? Uh, sorry, the Mavericks right now. Look, at this point, maybe you want to face Luca in the playoffs because they're going to run him into the ground beforehand. And I don't know if he's going to be able to be Luca that we've seen in the playoffs previously. And that's just the issue with the Mavericks. I mean, some of the numbers, we talk about the analytics being weird on New Orleans. Dallas is all sorts of bizarre. There's a team that's eight and six, but has a top 10 net rating and a top four defense. And their offense is actually 15th. They just don't have enough guys who can create for themselves. I think we've seen a lot of players disappoint as complimentary shooters. You have Tim Hardaway Jr. shooting under 34%. From three, um, Dorian Finney-Smith has been fine. Maxi Kleba and Reggie Bullock have mostly been cold. Um, signing Javal McGee was one of the most dumbass decisions of the summer. By the way, we don't talk enough about that. That was terrible contract. So the reason I don't, I believe in them because of Luca, but they need to diversify the way that they're attacking. And I, maybe that's, hey, look, you do have two other guys who can attack with the ball in their hands, and Spencer Dinwiddie and Christian Wood. Can you get away with playing those two alongside Luca defensively? In my mind, absolutely not. However, and Dallas hasn't tried it enough to say, well, that's that's right. But in the minutes they played, Dallas has been slaughtered on defense. But like if you play Finney Smith and then also Maxi Kleba, Durham was like, you at least have those two defenders on the court. Can you get away with it? That's the way to fix this internally. But until they lessen the dependence on Luca, and even if it's not moving him off the ball, it's just like he doesn't have to work as hard to get his points, or he doesn't have to work as hard to get points for everyone else. Um, this team feels like Yes, I don't want to meet them in the playoff because Luka's a top-five player, but they also feel like a little bit of a paper tiger right now. And so what's interesting for them, a lot of people are going to say, well, they need to make a trade. And it's they really can't. They, I mean, they can, but like their first available pick right now is in 2025. 
it'll once that Knicks pick conveys this year, unless Maverick the Mavericks implode and its top ten protection doesn't convey, you open up different avenues. But unless you're like taking on maybe bad money because you're moving Hardaway Jr. and Davis Bertans and JaVale McGee and whoever at this point, if you can find a trade like that that's not costing you a first, like can you get Eric Gordon from Houston somehow without giving up a first? Then yeah, absolutely positively do it. But this team needs another creator or some like look i don't want to belabor the jalen brunson point and i do think there were he was good against the jazz in the playoffs but then he like kind of struggled a little bit thereafter i'm not saying it needed to be him he was probably the bare minimum second best player you could have when you're when your top player is luka Doncic. you want to get someone who's better than that it's not going to happen this season and i don't think they can solve it internally so it's can you make a, a mid-scale move probably on the same scale that phoenix needs to make then i'd be a lot more fearful of them but i think you have to credit look luca um over the past like two weeks or something his past six or seven games he's shooting 36 percent from three again and so that's starting to climb a little bit back up and um the job he's doing a mid-high usage it remains fantastic and their their defense look apparently last season wasn't a fluke there there are reasons to like this team but until you can sit like it's not even simplify life for luca or at least just be more diverse on offense i just i can't trust them at the moment do you think Luca is happy with this kind of offense they're playing right now? You know, I have zero idea because he mentioned how tired he was the other day. But a lot of people, and this is a fair question, they've asked, can he play any other way? And it's a fair question because we've seen uh, James Harden, even Trey Young a little bit, struggle to play in these different ways. I will counter with the Mavericks have not given Luca an opportunity to play any different way. So unless he's gone to management and said, if you re-sign Jalen Brunson or give me a, a second star, I'm, I'm going to be so unhappy because I need to have the ball in my hands and have an historic usage rate. It's on the Mavericks to like get him a player that's going to change the way he plays. And I think we've seen enough, at least, with him in the post. And even just his size, more than Harden, more than Trey. Like you can use that guy as a screener if you wanted him to maybe roll to the basket or just do some things in that vein. I think he can play a different way. You just need to put a team around him that allows him to play a different way. Yeah, yesterday Adam Ares had uh, Kirk Henderson from the Mavs Moneyball on the show here. And one of the things Kirk said is that the Nuggets literally have only Luca and Spencer DVD as guys that can actually dribble the ball, not facilitate, but actually dribble the ball. And it, that sounded like a really good joke. But when you think about it, it's not far from the truth. Depending on how you feel about Christian Wood, they might have 2.5 players who should be attacking off a dribble right now. <laughs> okay. Let's now move to the to my beloved Denver Nuggets, who are in a strange position right now with Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, and I'm pretty sure Aaron Gordon in the health and safety protocols. Ignoring all the current COVID stuff that should be just a short-term problem, I want to talk about them in full strength and luckily they should still be in full strength in maybe a week or something like that so let's start with the obvious question how do you feel about the state of jamal murray and michael porter jr compared to where you expected them to be this deep or i guess this shallow into the season i think they're both probably where i would have expected maybe i'm a little bit surprised that michael porter jr has looked so good on offense at that point, like with his shooting, um, it's definitely pulled back a little bit over the past few games, but like, you know, him shooting 41 plus percent on three while still taking seven attempts is a big deal. Um, Jamal Murray, 
not looking like his feel for the game is there as much when he's running uh, pick and rolls. But I think we've just seen moments from both of them where they're going to be fine. And I, I think that will solve, at least with Jamal Murray and some of the Nuggets ball containment issues, I think that maybe solves some of the, the defensive issues they've had at points this season. I, I don't think either of them have blown me away this year relative to expectations just because I know Michael Porter Jr. was shooting like 8 trillion percent in the, the like for from three at one point, but like he's 6'10 and can shoot over anybody and they're not asking him to hit these off the dribble looks. So that's not as like, oh my God. Um, but I think they're both where I would probably um, have expected. Tell me one thing. We know Jamal fits perfectly with Jokic. We know Michael Porter fits per- perfectly with Jokic. Hell, we even know that those three on the court have like historic, historic uh, offensive rating when played together, even if it looks clunky, clunky, you know, at times. But do Jamal Murray and Michael Porter alone fit next to each other? Do you have a feeling for that? Like without Jokic on the court? Yeah, yeah. Whew, that's a good question. Yo, I don't know. And I think because the they like to tether Jamal and Nicole Jokic together so frequently that it's really tough to like parse the sample and take anything away from that. I would say probably not just because Jokic is so inherently it's not on his vision is just otherworldly. And so that by extension makes everyone around him better. It's why KCP just like drops in. He's like, Oh, like this guy's just going to nuke people on offense now. Um, so Jamal Murray's not going to have that same element. And it's, that's not on him that the pairing wouldn't work. It's now all of a sudden you need Michael Porter jr. To do more things off the dribble. And I don't think he's the nuggets have not used him in that way. I think he deserves um, a lot of credit for buying into what I think some people of his stature would consider a smaller role. Um, but like he has never been asked and has never looked great when he's needed to do a lot more complicated things on offense. So yeah, could in theory, could those two fit together? Absolutely. Like they both can play off the ball, but like Jamal Murray can do things where you set up Michael Porter jr. Away from the ball, but there's no, there's no give and take there where Jokic can really tee up Murray so much. Michael Porter jr. Cannot do the same for Jamal. I was so intrigued about the last last game against the Knicks. I wanted to see the synergy between those two, and everybody was, was saying, "Okay, look, look out! Here comes like twenty five shots game from from Michael Porter, and then he just finished with eight shots and and terrible uh, field goal percentage." To be completely frank, he really was unlucky on on the first couple of shots he missed, and then he just lost all all confidence in other aspects of the game, really. But it was an interesting experiment last night, and uh, I I still want to see those two try to, to figure it out together. You've already mentioned KCP, also Bruce Brown. Did they surprise, surprise you in how well they've gelled with the rest of the squad so far? I, the th- so I think the thing I'm most surprised about, I mean, like, you know, do I expect Contavious Callaway Pope to shoot, what is he, up, 53% from three forever? No, that's shocking. Uh, look, Bruce Brown just shooting 39% from three again. He did it in Brooklyn last year, but they've nudged up his volume in Denver. That's taking me back. I think it's the fact that they've seemed like such a cleaner fit on offense versus defense. I think that's probably been more surprising to me. But then I look at it and it's sort of just like, well, you know, you get to play with Jokic. Like everyone is just going to be a fit. And it's so why wouldn't you have expected that? So maybe if I would have recalibrated and looked at this roster a little bit more, I might've seen this coming, but they've been great. And I'm going to caps lock that on KCP. Great fits on the offensive end, more so than I ever could have expected right out of the gate. Yeah. 
I had a show like maybe five, six months ago with Voya when we were trying to figure out which superstar is the most fun to play with. And of course, all of those, you know, read and react stuff with Jokic. If you're a smart player, you're going to enjoy that kind of game. But on the other hand, there is a there is a reverse effect. Everybody looks great with Jokic on the court, but then he steps out and everybody looks pretty terrible. And I don't think guys appreciate that too much. Maybe if you know if you would remove Nikola for a half a season and try to to make everybody look better on themselves, it could be a, a good thing for them. But definitely, KCP and Bruce Brown have shown so much uh, smart, so much uh, basketball intelligence, and really the willingness to play the right role on the team, and then completely exploded in those roles. And when we're speaking about speaking about Nikola, was he? playing the most awesome game of 4D chess before he got into protocols, preserving energy while getting the most out of the teammates. People were like mad at him for not taking any shots in multiple games. But at the end, they've had pretty good record and most of the guys played really well next to him. Yeah, I could see Nicole Jokic playing 4D chess, especially after the way the past two seasons unfolded, the workload he was shouldering. I still think like, some of the threes he has passed up has actually aggravated me. But um, I, there's value when you know what you are and what your end game is, where the regular season matters. But, like, what are we doing here? Like, you want to win a title. So, like, let these other guys explore and let's see what, you know, Porter Jr. can do, setting up him and Jamal Murray, but also setting up Bruce Brown, Aaron Gordon, KCP, um, giving Bones Highland more agency over the offense when, you know, he's running these bench units. It does feel like. As stringent as I feel like Michael Malone can sometimes be, there's been a little bit more self-discovery by the Nuggets this year. And I think Nicole Jokic is kind of at the forefront of that, where you might have just phrased it. Like he was sort of just playing 40 chess when everyone else was playing tiddlywings at this point, thinking that he needs to put up these monster numbers. This dude has his two MVP awards. Um, we know he can be the best player on a great team, even that doesn't have a great supporting cast. Um, let's see if he can make others more comfortable in their own skin so that when the playoffs come around, one, not only is he maybe a little bit fresher, that he's been, um, and he's still been really good in the playoffs, by the way, but not only is he just maybe a little bit fresher, but like this team knows more about itself when it comes to making adjustments. I loved your take a couple of days ago you made on your uh, Harvard Knock podcast with, with Grant Hughes when you said that you have no idea what the Nuggets are doing on defense. It really doesn't add up when you see all of those nice pieces that were supposed to 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 really improve the perimeter containment, but it still doesn't look like that. And what's especially interesting to me, have you noticed the discrepancy between Aaron Gordon's impact on the offensive end where he has been really aggressive toward the rim? Like he has by far the best dunking season of his career so far, but also his ineffectiveness on defense, especially as a help defender. So I never thought about tying it to his offensive performance. And I think, I don't know if I mentioned that podcast. I don't know if I gave him a pass, but I kind of see him being like still overstretched on defense. There's a lot of times where he's still defending the point of attack. Um, the other team's best perimeter player, if it's DeMar DeRozan, if it's Jason Tatum, that's a heavy lift. And so to have to contain that, but then also like the ball containment elsewhere on Denver is like, I haven't seen their past couple games. So that's the caveat. It's been so bad that there are times where it's like, I could 
the late rotations around the rim, some of the ticky-tack fouls where he's late on the rotations. It's Did he just not trust the guy who was supposed to contain the ball so he's getting ready to help in a different direction? I don't have a deep enough understanding of the um, NBA X's and O's on defense to know whether that's the case, but there's definitely been that's part of the issue here. And I don't know that he's been part of the ball containment so much as he's just been overstretched again because, or he's confused. And I think I've even seen moments where it feels like, uh, is he staring at guys who just blew an assignment? Like, is there like some passive aggressiveness emanating out from him? And then is that impacting the way that he's playing? But there's just been some weird moments from him. I think like the rest of the team, and yeah, some of it you would expect, like, you know, Bones Highland, he's not containing anybody at the moment, but the, the Aaron Gordon one, I never thought about t- tying it to his, the way his offense performance, the way you did. So that's super interesting. Yeah. You mentioned Bones. I mean, Last game against the Knicks, he was probably the the best main guy on the team. I, I mean, they had some pretty good role players on the team in that match, like Vladko Chantar, like Bruce Brown, like Zeke Nagy. But Bones was really killing it on offense. But on the other hand, as you mentioned, do you see the world where Bones is just cut out of the playoff rotations because of how bad he can look on defense? Or do I... you think he's just too important? I think he's too important unless you believe that Michael Porter Jr. can carry bench heavy miles by himself, or you think Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray can do it together. Because look, Nicole Young's going to play like 40, 42 minutes a game in the playoffs. That's still six minutes you got to fill, and Bones is the best guy to do that. So does the playing time get pulled back? Probably gets pulled back anyway when you look at the top of this roster. You need your starting five, and then you need the version of that lineup where you sub in Bruce Brown for Michael Porter Jr. Or even, look, they've done it a little bit when they subbed in him for Jamal Murray, that lineup has just absolutely like obliterated everyone on the court too. So I think there would be a natural regression in his role. I wonder if he needs to play and shocker DeAndre Jordan ate the answer. He needs to play with someone who's going to be more by the basket behind him, not a help defender like an Aaron Gordon um, or even a Zeke Naji type, but like, but you need a rim protector behind him because like, that's just not going to be when you look at his, his slight frame, like, yeah, he can be shifty, but he's going to be overpowered a bunch. And the way that he like, sort of like his body is turned. It's almost like he's inadvertently funneling guys towards the basket when that's not what the nuggets are trying to do. So you need to change, like maybe the way your backup five is run. I don't know who would be the best. It's not. And look, it's not going to be Jokic because they want to play him higher. That's where he's best. And I think there are two ways to view that where it's, so he's not really been part of the pr- problem when you actually look at the ball containment. And teams are actually shooting, getting to the rim less when he's on the court. But you could argue, because Nikola Jokic needs to play this way on defense, where if you put him in a drop and you get pick-and-rolled to death by a team that would just pick you apart, is that a little bit on him? There's a give-and-take there, but that's a great question on Bones. I think with the rotation shortening anyway, I could see his minutes coming down, but because of the discussion we just had about Michael Porter Jr. mainly— I'm not sure that he would ever get just completely nixed. I think you would still need to find minutes for him. So one, that he's in rhythm and two, that you have someone to give you that juice during the, again, six, eight, nine minutes that you're not going to play Nikola Jokic in the playoffs. I just can't believe how, how much you trust the guy and gets signed in the fourth second of the off season in the Andre Jordan. I mean, who tampers for DeAndre Jordan? <laughs> why are you tampering for him? I just, I want to know. Why are you tampering? Is he like the best locker room presence in the league? I, like, what? I, I have a random, I mean, they already have Vlatko for that, I'm guessing. So, why? M- my random question why is Serge Ibaka not on any team and DeAndre Jordan is? Uh, Serge Ibaka is on a team. He's on the Bucks, right? 
Am I misremembering? No, I think he's not. I don't think so. Let me see. Um, he, yeah, he's on the Bucks. Wow, you almost oh, like he is. Oh, he scared Jesus. me for a minute, Miro. So I was oh, like, yeah, wow, okay. I know I'm bad at okay. my job, but this is. Yeah, that... <laughs> uh, I, th- I actually thought I, bad thing. I was like, I... I, thought I, I thought I just watched him play versus Cleveland. Okay. Now I was like, was that just Bobby Portis? And I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> okay, for some reason I made up that kind of mistake. Okay, thank you, Dan, for bursting my bubble first, because we usually don't speak about other teams as much here. Would you like to plug something? You seem as as busy as you usually are. Just, uh, I'd say follow me on Twitter, but that might burn down at any second. So go check out, look, I <laughs> I stink at self-promotion, even though I do it a lot. But like when I do a solo podcast, I have struggle or write. I struggle to hit send on promotions because I hate pumping myself up. When I do it with Grant Hughes or a guest, I'll promote the shit out of it yeah. just because the guests and Grant Hughes are doing the heavy lifting. Hardwood Knox to me is genuinely underrated with the amount of content, the level of content, the personality we bring. So if you've not checked it out and you're looking for an NBA podcast that no, we're not going to talk about the Denver Nuggets every episode. We're not going to talk about the Orlando Magic every episode, but we do try and cover the league at large in uh, a really thorough, unserious, seriously unserious way. Just go check us out. We're at Hardwood Knox, wherever you could find your podcast. We're on YouTube as well. Your educated takes are always welcome here. So promise me you won't be you won't block me on Twitter if that thing still exists right before the playoffs, because I would love to pick your brain again, you know, before before we get to the good stuff. Yes, you look, people have started sending me their emails um that I talk to. So my email's in my bio. So you just bookmark it, I'll always make time for you, Miroslav. I really I always appreciate uh the fact that you listen to us when there again, anyone who listens to us really, there's there's so much great NBA content out there. I just think that ours, I'm biased, but it's really good and uh, uh, really underrated. So check us out. And like I said, I appreciate all your support over over years now. So I will always have time for you. It was my pleasure. And as for you, our dear audience, thank you for sticking with us to the very end. Don't forget to tune in tonight for a pregame show. They're always fun. And of course, the postgame show, let's hope, is going to be the one after a win. Listen to Dan on Hardwood Knox, read him at the Bleacher Report, and I'll see you in a week. Go Nuggets!